Okay, good afternoon everybody. Uh, welcome to our Challenging Corporate Power session. Um, my name is Adabal, I'll be chairing this session. I'm going to keep it short and sweet as sweet as the speakers' bios and information are on the website. Um, we do have three speakers who plan to speak for 15 minutes each, so to pack it all in, we thought we'd allow each speaker to speak, and then we'll have a five-minute Q&A at the end of the session. Our first speaker is Alika Scotta from Lawyers for New Paradigm. Great. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. It's so good to see, see so many faces here interested in this topic. Um, yeah, so my name's Annika Stobart. We've actually just, because I'm starting this organisation up, uh, we've renamed to Earth Advocates now. So, Boys for New Paradigm was our old name. Um, but firstly, I'd like to make an acknowledgement of country. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Burungam traditional owners of land on which we meet today and respect their elders both past and present. And I would also like to extend my respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. And thank you, uh, Nina and the conference for having me. Uh, yeah, so uh, I originally studied uh, science and law and finished that about a year ago and have been involved in a lot of kind of environmental activism and social justice activism over the years, but um, eventually at one point I found that I was hitting my head against a wall and feeling like I was using all my energy to fight um, rather than create something new. So the whole um, Earth Advocates is a group of lawyers who are trying to create this public interest law firm that's going to create like the legal frameworks and support for the new economy or the new ecological paradigm. Um, and so as part of this, um, I've been looking into community democracies and um, kind of constitutional, constitutionalising communities' rights. And um, this is kind of the projects that we're heading into now. So um, the aim of the talk um, is to inspire us to reclaim true democracy and use it as a force for good. Um, so my main message throughout the talk um, is that in order to feel truly represented by our democracies, we need to participate in democratic decision-making constantly in our societies, not just once every three years when we vote. In doing so, we need to enshrine our rights to be heard, so constitutionalised. Uh, this will ensure um, ongoing participatory democracy. We don't just need to change the way we do business in our economy, in our new economy, the governance structures need to be there to support it. If you're a cooperative, you need to have the legal support as well, you know, from your local governments and from your state and federal governments. Therefore, bringing a focus back onto the people, prioritising community and people's rights over corporate's rights is an essential step. So, I don't want to labour this point because I'm sure many of us understand that there's a bit of a crisis of democracy at the moment. Um, Corporations don't just have power, they are ruling us. People don't feel represented, they are not heard. So Western democracies are in turmoil, from Brexit to Donald Trump, to a general lack of distrust in politics, disillusioned voters are expressing their frustration in strange ways. At home we can also see a growing dissatisfaction and distrust of Australian politicians, not having since um, John Howard, we haven't had a single Prime Minister finish a term. Um, so the consequences of this, we don't have policy that reflects or benefits community, we have a corporate state, an economic paradigm that prioritises large corporations' interests over community rights. But also interestingly, we have these disengaged and ambivalent citizens. A lower institute 
did a study like every year now for I think five years and this year said that only 52% of young people between 18 and 29 believe that a democracy is the preferred system of government. How many? 52%. So, so yeah, they 52% believe that a democracy is the preferred system of government. Um, an example of this is also seen in the recent French um, election with Emmanuel Macron um, having the lowest turnout, one of the lowest turnouts of registered voters ever in the recent elections. I mean, obviously many things explain this, but these are just some indicators. So, just to remind you, <laughs> the power of democracy, rule of the people. Uh, democracy means that people are sovereign, they are the highest authority, and government is based on the will of the people. Democracy ensures that those in power don't follow their own wishes, but the wishes of the people. It balances out dis and distributes power rather than centralises it. We're, we already know this, but I just wanted to emphasise that. Um, so, we need participatory and deliberative democracy. Um, so, participatory and deliberative democracies are obviously not new concepts, but they are a way of overcoming imbalances of power and conflict between citizens and government decision makers. Key components of this paradigm are citizens as active part of decision making, they deliberate issues and include marginalised citizens and come to consensus. So it's just a bit of a basic logic. To be heard, we must communicate with our decision makers on an ongoing basis. This requires constant participation for true representation. Um, and, but this is, you know, requires a lot of effort and so it needs to be worthwhile. Um, and so in order to do this, we need to be able to enshrine this um, um, you know, in, in law and uh, allow the include participatory democracy as a right of people and right of self-government. So the benefits are that when people are truly heard and feel represented, um, they feel empowered and become active citizens. It creates social harmony and peace. It increases trust and respect for our polity. It prioritises citizens' welfare over corporate power. People's energy is directed at creating rather than fighting to be heard. So we are seeing people engaging this all around the world, which are many of us in this room as well. There are new governance methods that are sprouting up everywhere to engage civil society and create collaborative citizen-owned approaches to enhance democracy. They're taking back control and creating governance systems and government for people by the people. So I'll go through some of them now, um, looking at some national level examples and also local level. Uh, and then set out some major things that we can learn from that and maybe things that we can take away from the different examples in our own communities. So recently, um, Iceland created a people's constitution. Um, so they privatised their banks in the year 2000 and then in 2008 their whole economy crashed with the GFC. So it followed with three months of protesting outside the Icelandic parliament and eventually the government resigned and top bankers were put in jail. So the people with the support of the new government decided to rewrite the foundations of the country and look at the values that they hold collectively. Um, and especially for the rights of the people not to be abused by the corporate powers that have overtaken their country, especially these big banks. 
So they chose 1,000 citizens randomly to develop some core ideas. Then the parliament established a procedure for selecting delegates to a drafting committee, commission. So out of a big pool of people, 25 were chosen to represent the population. And over four months, these 25 commissioners met to draft a constitution where they were made available for public comment throughout the process. This was through an online engagement process. That's an example of one of their Facebook pages. They received uh, thousands of comments and these were led to a lot of modifications by the um, commissioners. Uh, and the final draft was adopted unanim unanimously by the commissioners and sent to Parliament and to the people. Two thirds of voters um, endorsed the document in a non-binding referendum and half of the population voted on it. Um, this was made up of many like yes, no questions. Um, and the, the one that received the highest yes vote was of 81% was that natural resources are not already um, that are not already pr privately owned should be declared as uh, national property. But it was ultimately rejected by the government of the time and it still remains unenforced. But um, the Pirate Party has been gaining a lot of power in recent times and there's, um, they've been gaining a lot of traction and in the recent election they made a pre-election agreement between five political parties to make this um, constitution, to bring in this constitution within two years. So it's gaining um, momentum but yeah um, so the Constitution sets out a whole bunch of rights um, including environmental protection international human rights law rights for refugees and migrants and propose, proposes distributing um, the fruits of Iceland's natural resources especially fishing uh, it also interestingly includes a right to citizen-led initiatives to propose legislation that is in line with the Constitution so this is about um, you know, this kind of enshrining a right of participatory democracy where anyone can put forward solutions and then the government has to support them in, um, you know, leading a kind of democratic decision-making and policy development process. <coughs> so another interesting one is in Estonia, where um, in 2012 there was a political scandal um, which became public. Um, it was related to illegal party funding. Okay, no one time. Um, so um, this resulted in um, the community, uh, the the government supporting a citizen-led um, de uh, democratic um, um, decision-making process, where they similarly and inspired by the Icelandic movement did a very similar thing, where they got a representative group of people together and voted on a whole bunch of proposals um, together also within a virtual online system where anyone from the public could access it and comment on the proposals. So this also had the legalisation of citizen initiatives in it and because it came from the scandal of funding, it also addressed the um, financing of political parties, interestingly. That's just a quote from the president. But looking more at like local examples, there's been this really interesting movement in the US um, creating community bill of rights. And so they have um, engaged with 200 communities around the US to create local ordinances with the local governments and enshrining their local rights. So they get together and engage and look at their values and create these Bill of Rights together. Um, these are just some interesting ones. An example where a community prevented a fracking from occurring in their local town because um, they were able to create a home rule charter which stood up against um, the state power in Pennsylvania and they actually made the fracking illegal. 
and also just as a local example, there's citizen juries going on all, all over Australia. There's lots of Australian examples, um, really inspiring things happening everywhere. But this is an interesting one where the Geelong Council was actually dismissed and they had to create a new council. So what they did is they included all the local citizens, representative citizens, chose a bunch of people. They obviously did a lot of stakeholder engagement and they came up with proposals for how they would like to democratically structure their own council. Um, and this was also interesting, included things like facilitating citizen engagement and also, you know, education, educating the community on demo democratic processes. But also, what can we learn from this? So, um, the citizens, it shows that citizens want to be engaged in democracy. So when we provide that um, <coughs> open space, um, people, citizens really come in and get engaged. You know, with 50% of people in Iceland um, coming to vote on this new constitution. And also when we engage in participatory democracy, we strengthen our collective rights. As you can see, like there was no one saying you need to create a bill of rights. When the communities came together, they decided to write down all these bunch of rights that they wanted their community to have. And it also, you need, in order to come up with rights, you need to know what your values are. So it also engages and brings together community to look at their values and what they want. Um, movements begin at the local level. So the examples from the US where they've got all these communities um, with their local uh, ordinances have been very successful, um, where it's more difficult, you know, in Iceland getting a whole country to change its constitution. So building its way up and in the US they're trying to create lots and lots of different ordinances um, to build, you know, statewide networks and then national networks to try and change, you know, the state uh, constitutions but also the US constitution of corporate personhood. Um, you know, as I said before, there a lot of them embed a right of citizen initiative, so um, you know, embedding that right to participatory democracy. Um, a lot of them included virtual deliberation and contribution, so you know, technology allows us to be a lot more re representative and um, you know, open up the floor for anyone to comment and propose um, ideas. Um, multiple steps, so having you know, different groups of people involved um, and numerous stages, so face-to-face, -face, online, and different yeah, voices heard. And a lot of examples that it's successful involved you know, NGOs or community groups coming in to help and direct the energy. So the CLDF example, they, are, uh, they have democracy schools to actually train people how to run those sessions. Um, challenges. Um, Enshrining our rights is a very difficult thing, but um, we have some examples of it being successful. Um, making sure it's actually truly representative. Um, you know, online, yes, can allow more people, but maybe it doesn't affect all groups who can actually access the internet. And um, creating a model rather than being reactive. Yeah, that's about it. Great, thank you.